my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 560. Welcome in. Got a little story to tell you guys. I was on my morning walk today. I go for a walk every morning by the canal. Trying to hit six miles every day. Trying to lose weight, doing the best I can. Get active, get out of my out of my apartment. I go for a walk every morning before work. And uh, I'm on my walk this morning. I met a guy. I don't, I think his name was Lenoa. I'm not sure. I had headphones in. I tried to take him off, shake his hand. But he said, hi. He said, hey, I'm a fan of the show. I, are you Zach Schaumler? It was really cool. Um, and if you're out there, I, I don't know if I butchered your name or not, but man, it was good to meet you this morning. Thank you so much. That was so cool. And uh, I don't know, man. Like, yeah, that's exactly the perfect interaction. You say hi, you say I like your work, and you get you go a separate ways. And that was uh, meant a lot to me this morning. So, Lenoa, if I'm butchering your name, I'm sorry, but it was cool to meet you this morning. Nice to shake your hand, and uh, hope we're doing well. Um, I want to mention something. It's a big deal in my community, among my friends and my neighborhood. Um, the neighboring island uh, uh, is uh, Maui, and uh, one of our neighboring islands, Maui, had a massive fire. Uh, I don't know what to do. I'm not really sure how to help. I don't really have money to donate. I, uh, I'm, I'm trying to survive myself, but I think the best thing I can do to help Lahaina is just to encourage you to go read about the wildfires in Maui. Uh, it's heartbreaking. It's devastating. I once got engaged in Maui. I went to Lahaina on that trip. Um, Spent a lot of time there. I know French Street very well. It's sad to see the pictures and hear of the death toll. And uh, I think the only way I know how to make any kind of difference or or anything here is just to say I encourage you to go read about it and and go educate yourself a little bit about a little bit about what happened. It's really horrifying and really sad. And uh, I know it's really messed with a lot of my friends and people in my community here. And uh, it's a really really sad situation to see what happened to Lahaina. Um, I've got a little correction to start the show today. Uh, two episodes ago, I was talking about the Denver Broncos, and I said that Greg Dulcich, their tight end, was just drafted. Um, that was wrong. Let's correct the record. He was drafted two years ago. He's going into year two. I was I mentioned like the Shrine Bowl. I was thinking of Jake Bobo out of UCLA, the receiver. Don't ask how I got them mixed up. I'm not really sure. I've got so many things going on in my head all the time. I have no idea. Uh, but I try to correct the record when I'm wrong on stuff and just, you know, it, it takes a little bit of effort here. I, it takes humility. You admit when you're wrong. You say what happened. And I, I, I think it's weird that not all broadcasters do that. Did anyone hear what happened to Colin Cowherd? He did a, a segment where he was talking about quarterbacks that can't win a Super Bowl. And uh, I love Colin. I grew up listening to him. I respect him a lot. But he he included in that list Dwayne Haskins, quarterbacks who can't win a Super Bowl. Technically, that's not wrong. It's just really disrespectful because he's dead. And you're like, oh, dude. And I, I don't know if he's apologized or not. It doesn't sound like he has. That's such an easy correction to make and say, hey, yesterday on the show, we made a list. I had a name included I shouldn't have had. Just own it. Just, it's not that hard. You just say, here's what happened. Uh, I was wrong. I messed up. I don't know why broadcasters try to like erase or pretend they never make mistakes or slip up. It happens. When you talk for hours into a microphone... You're going to say the wrong thing sometimes. It's part of the job. We're human beings. And it's weird to me that people ignore that kind of mistake and, you know, throw it under the rug, pretend it never happened. It's like, no, you have to acknowledge it. It's so weird. We all know what happened. We all, we're all thinking it. I read about that story and was like, man, that's the wrong approach to doing broadcasting. It drove me nuts. I wanted to mention it. Um, today, we're going to do predictions for the 
AFC and NFC East, they are really, really big divisions with really, really good football teams. But first, I want to talk about Hard Knocks Episode 1. It was the first episode with the New York Jets. You can skip this if you want. Um, I really loved it. If you hate spoilers and you haven't watched it, I guess skip ahead. If you're not sure you're going to watch it or you you really you, you have watched it, you want to hear about it, I'm going to talk about Hard Knocks. I think it was awesome. I really, really loved it. And if you want to skip ahead, you can. You either like Hard Knocks or you don't. But I think if you don't watch Hard Knocks, it's still interesting to listen to because there's good insight you get from the New York Jets and their football team by watching the show and hearing about it. So um, one thing that really stood out during Hard Knocks episode one on Tuesday is that it was a ton of Aaron Rodgers. He was the main focus of the episode. And that surprised me, actually. I didn't know if he was going to be in the show very much. I was... I'm like, maybe is he going to dodge the camera, not participate? I could see it going either way. Usually Hard Knocks focuses on guys who are kind of on the bubble and are not sure if they're going to make the team or not. And uh, I I expect the remaining episodes to do just that, focus on the storylines and the guys you haven't heard of. But episode one, Aaron was front and center. They did this long intro with him, comparing him to Joe Namath, basically, and Dude, I loved it, man. I, I love Hard Knocks. I really appreciate the show. It's always, you know, been really cool to me. I think in years past, it's been waning and less interesting. This has got to be the most interesting year of Hard Knocks we've seen in a long, long time. We got a lot of Aaron Rodgers. We got a little bit of their former quarterback, Zach Wilson. And it really makes me wish we had... I wish we'd gotten Hard Knocks when Tom Brady went to Tampa because it'd be so cool to have the ability to compare... And have an inside look at Tom Brady going into Tampa and comparing the two situations. I, we're not going to be able to do that, but I see so many parallels between Tom Brady going to Tampa and Aaron Rodgers going to New York. This, you know, veteran quarterback. He's kind of a legend amongst his teammates, and you know, literally, like he gets treated like a celebrity. There's a moment where Michael Hardman is a bit starstruck, talking about how I watched you when I was a kid. I can't wait to tell my kid when he grows up I played with you and. I don't know, man. It's interesting. That would be, for me, a tough position to be in, where you, you're kind of... I, I don't know. I hope I would handle that kind of celebrity, especially it's different if you're just a celebrity, but he's also a teammate. Like, he's theoretically on the same plane as all his other teammates. He's one of the New York Jets, but he's not. He's above them. He's, it's a different level. It's so interesting to me. And I wouldn't want that level of fame or attention. You know, people are screaming at him on the street. He can't go anywhere. That sounds really difficult. Um... But Aaron handles it really graciously. And I think that's so cool. Again, I I hope I would handle it the way Aaron does. And I I think one of the coolest storylines from this year is we're going to see Aaron Rodgers shift from an NFL villain to more of a hero. Like, I think the new villain in the NFL is Deshaun Watson, easily and absolutely. I want to see Aaron, the narrative change on him. People start to like him more, understand him more. And maybe respect him and like it. I think that'd be so cool. And definitely, I think this series is going to help him with his public image and the way people view him. I think his his negative public perception is often undeserving. Like, the more I've listened to Aaron and paid attention to him and tried to follow his story and really give him a fair chance, the more I've come to like him over the years. I mean, that's just honest. And, uh, you know, another guy I really, really like in the Jets is their head coach, Robert Sala. He reminds me of my former college coach, Brant McAdams, a guy that I absolutely loved. And, uh, you know, the good speeches, the the way he talks, the down-to-earth nature. I just thought that Robert Sala came across, as he always has, but especially in Hard Knocks, is just an awesome coach that you'd love to play for and work under. 
Also, shout out to Jeff Ulbrich, the defensive coordinator of the Jets. He played college football at University of Hawaii. We love that. Hallelujah. That's awesome. Um, and I loved hearing Liev Schreiber back narrating. I mean, I, that voice is so iconic. Aaron Rodgers calls him the voice of God, and that could not be more accurate. It's so fun. And uh, he's so good at it. I mean, he, he played an actually weirdly starring role in Hard Knocks for the first time ever. We saw Liev Schreiber on camera during Hard Knocks. He came to practice, which never happens. But at request of Aaron Rodgers, he's like, I want to meet Schreiber. And so we get this special treat. He's talking about all the celebrities, you know, Liev Schreiber's narrating, talking about all the celebrities at Jets training camp and says, you know, some people get really special entrances or something like that. And then he's literally narrating himself flying in on a helicopter and then walking in in slow motion. And it's so funny. It's great television, man. And he, he's very clear. Like, I wanted to drive here, but producers made me get a helicopter. I totally believe that. That's the kind of thing television producers would do. That like, let's make a spectacle out of this. And I think my favorite part of having Liev Schreiber at Jets training camp. By the way, again, first time he's ever been to a Hard Knocks training camp ever. He's He was so a bit uncomfortable socially. And I find that hilarious. He was out of his element. And that is so entertaining to watch. So Liev Schreiber interacting with Aaron Rodgers, holding a football. He's definitely like physically intimidated and a bit out of his element. And he's not a small actor. I love Ray Donovan and the shows he's been in. And I just really, I thought it was such a, like a, almost like a meta moment in Hard Knocks history. Like he, he's literally seeing the narrator appear on screen, narrating himself, walk into training camp, flying in a helicopter. That's hilarious and just great television. I loved it. Um, You know, Aaron in New York is this, massive deal for everyone there. You feel it in the building. Everything is revolving around Aaron. I I think, I don't think that's Aaron's ego. I think that comes with the level of talent and celebrity he has. I mean, Jeff Ulbrich, the defensive coordinator says like, we're going to be in games this year. Our quarterback is going to keep us around. It's on us to play well, but gosh, it's awesome. And Garrett Wilson was talking about how he's not sure how long he's going to get Aaron but he wants to learn what he can and take advantage of the opportunity to play with him. That's such an interesting perspective. People are viewing playing with Aaron as an opportunity, as kind of like going to like a, an apprenticeship or foot, you know, college for quarterbacks or college for whatever position you play. Because Aaron is both the starting quarterback, but also kind of a coach and really influencing and helping all the younger guys. But compared to Aaron, who's 39, everyone's a younger guy compared to him. So he's just... Like this, it's just an interesting dynamic to watch. He's the man amongst boys. And no matter how old you are, he's he's older than you. He's played for longer than you. He's got more records than you. He's played against your dad. It's crazy. It's interesting. And I think Aaron coming to the Jets is probably the best thing that's ever happened to the Jets quarterback, Zach Wilson. He's the former number two overall pick, was their starting quarterback for two years, was supposed to be their franchise quarterback, and... Now he's the backup, and he's handled it really well. He actually loved Aaron Rodgers growing up. I remember him talking about him getting to meet Aaron Rodgers when they did joint practice with the Packers and, you know, back when Aaron was in Green Bay. So for Zach Wilson, he appears to be treating this like an apprenticeship. You know, I'm like, I'm going to take everything I can, learn from Aaron, have humility. There's no doubt about the fact that he's a better quarterback than me. I'm going to take a backseat here. I'm going to learn. I'm going to be like a sponge, just doing everything I can to get better. And it's very clear Aaron is encouraging him and helping him and trying to make him a better quarterback. And that's so cool. Again, Aaron is not just a starting quarterback. He's kind of like a coach. 
And I, again, I go, people always hate on Aaron. I think I've been that guy in the past. I've been very critical of Aaron Rodgers, but I don't know how you can pay attention to Aaron in the last couple of years and still hate him. And, and this show, I think, really shows the side of Aaron that I come to love. And I've come to love and the person he is, the graciousness with which he treats his teammates. Um, I, I do, despite of all, despite all the praise I have for Aaron, despite the way that I, I feel about him, I think he's awesome. I think he's under, underrated as a human being. I think he gets a bad rap. I want to call BS on one thing. Um, Aaron talks about his offensive coordinator, Nathaniel Hackett. And they come across like brothers. You know, Aaron loves playing for him, and they get along really well. They got this great relationship. But here's what I want to call BS on: If you love Nathaniel Hackett so much, then how come you didn't demand a trade to go to Denver last year? Why didn't you go play for him when he was a head coach in Denver? You know what I mean? There's a story there. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's all just a conspiracy theory, and you know the Packers were unwilling to trade him. Who knows? But. It really might be that simple. The Packers are like, we can't trade you yet. Jordan's not ready. Their backup quarterback, Jordan Love. Like, hey, Jordan Love's ready. We're ready to move on. Can we trade you away? Who knows what was happening behind the scenes? But it's really fascinating that we didn't see Aaron go play for Nathaniel Hackett when he had an opportunity to last year. It's like, well, um, there's, a, there's a story there that I'm not sure what happened. But he, he, talks, he talks about how much he loves playing for Nathaniel Hackett. He's the best guy ever. They're like brothers. That's amazing. And it's like, well, why didn't you go play for him? Why didn't you pound the table and refuse to play for Green Bay? You could have done that. You could have said, I'm playing with Nathaniel Hackett. And he didn't. So there, something, there's more to the story than we're allowed to believe. But I like seeing Aaron defend his coach and you know, trying to spread the gospel of how great he is. Um, and Nathaniel Hackett did come across as pretty awesome. Like, he's always on, is something Aaron said about him and... He's positive. He creates a cool environment to work in. Maybe he's too goofy. I'm not sure. It, it made me wonder why him and Russell Wilson didn't work. Like, why didn't Nathaniel Hackett work well with Russell Wilson? Was Russell Wilson maybe given too much rope to do his own thing is what it sounds like from Sean Payton. I'm not sure, but I'll always be so fascinated in what happened with Nathaniel Hackett last year as a head coach in Denver because there are so much we don't know. Why didn't Aaron go play for him? Why did they fail? What was happening in the locker room? I'd love a documentary. I could watch a whole 30 for 30 about that year Nathaniel Hackett coached the Denver Broncos. I could watch a 30 for 30 about just that moment at the end of the Seahawks game where they have the ball down one point with like a, a minute left and they burn 40 seconds off the clock and don't call a timeout and try to kick this massive field goal. And you're like, what are they doing? This is insanity on fourth down. So I'm I'm endlessly fascinated in Nathaniel Hackett, but... There's this funny moment where, you know, Sean Payton, the new coach of the Broncos, was very openly critical of Nathaniel Hackett, saying he did a terrible job last year. And they're playing this game where they're trying to hit the pylon. It's like a little game the quarterbacks are playing. And um, Rogers, Aaron Rodgers has this moment where he tries to psych him out. He yells, Sean Payton! And it's, like, so funny. I'm like, ah, I love that. That's, that's hilarious to me. It's so real. And uh, I don't know. Hard Knocks is back. It was fantastic. It's an inside look at Aaron Rodgers. I felt very self-aware that the Hard Knocks producers and creators understand what they have. They're like, hey, we can't not talk about Aaron for like an entire episode. He's too big a deal. And I thought they did him justice. They, you know, a lot of people don't want to get Hard Knocks. Aaron actually, they have him in the show saying, I think it's overblown. It's a bit of a, a, a misnomer. 
I don't know, man. If Aaron can use this opportunity to propel himself forward and become a, you know, more of a hero than a villain and raise the way he's viewed publicly, it's very possible that over time, the way Hard Knocks is viewed could change. As instead of a thing that's negative, more of an opportunity. We saw the TV show Quarterback on Netflix make Kirk Cousins into like a lovable hero instead of this. He was more of a lovable loser. Now he's a guy that you root for. And you, you really got to know Kirk Cousins behind the scenes. We knew who Patrick Mahomes was. Marcus Mariota didn't really move the needle. But Kirk Cousins really stole the show in that, you know, docuseries quarterback on Netflix. And I think a similar thing could happen with Aaron Rodgers. And I think more and more we're going to see that I think media might be allowed in, in more places and given more access because people have less to be afraid of, I think, than ever before. Like, hey, actually, if you do it right, it can really help you and make you look good. And so I would like to see more access given more freely to the media uh, within reason. Like, you're, you're not going to let them into every closed door. But I, I could see a world where the the entire view of hard knocks, this horrible distraction no one wants. And I could see that shifting over time where people go, you know, the right coach with the right savvy could say, Nah, let's bring it in. Let's, you know, Dan Campbell, I thought, was a, a hero when he was on Hard Knocks, like really, really winning people over and showing how awesome he was. And so I, I think that Hard Knocks, the show quarterback, all this stuff going on in the media, it should it could really shift the way people view cameras following them all the time. And instead of this negative, horrifying thing, it could actually be like a, an opportunity to market yourself and show off who you are. And if you're authentic and have nothing to hide anyway, like... I think you can only win. So maybe that's wishful thinking, but I would really like to see a world where, you know, more people are given more access and more stories are told on the world of sports that can reveal people. Because you don't have to attack people and tear people down to tell a great story. I think, you know, people are so secretive of access because in the past, journals, journalists were like horrible people that were trying to ruin you and ask gotcha questions. And I think that you can... You can ask tough questions even, even cover hard subjects like Aaron Rodgers talking about the Sean Payton, Nathaniel Hackett moment. You can cover a tough subject in a way that doesn't tear someone down. And so I don't know, man, I'd really like to see the media landscape shift towards a little more access, a little more uh, freedom with the cameras and a little more uh, of people trying to hide. You know, why do people have to hide everything? What do you what's going on that you really feel like you need to keep something a secret here? I don't know. I'm, I'm rambling now, but I, I overall... Hard Knocks Episode 1 was fantastic. I loved it. And uh, if you haven't watched it, you should. It's just good television. It's all around fun, especially if you've watched watched Hard Knocks before, that meta moment of Liev Schreiber coming in and narrating himself walking in. Like, that's hilarious. That's great television. And if you like the show already, which I do, it was just like such a cool moment for fans of the show. So, man, I loved it. I enjoyed Hard Knocks. And if you haven't watched it, you should go watch it yourself. Um... Today's all about predictions. We are doing predictions for eight different football teams. The AFC and NFC East. That is the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers. The New Orleans Saints, the Buffalo Bills, the New York Jets, the Dallas Cowboys, the Miami Dolphins, the New York Giants, the Eagles, the Washington Commanders. I think that's all eight of them. I didn't keep track as I went. Um, then I want to tell you first how I do predictions because I spent a lot of time researching every single football team. I take it very seriously. I get to know every team really, really well. You know, if, if you do the math, an hour of research per NFL team is 32 hours of research, and I do way more than an hour of research. I have been diving really deep, taking a lot of time. And once I get to know every team really well, 
Then I go through all 272 NFL regular season games, and there's only 272 wins to go around. You have to. Every win for one team is a loss for another. If one division is really good and has a lot of teams winning a lot of games, you can't have other divisions winning a ton of games too. There's only so many wins to go around. And so I go through each game, make picks as I go through the year. And then at the end, I count up every team's record. And then I double check. I make sure it all adds up to 272. But I really, really make sure that there's only so many wins to go around. And as I go through, sometimes it's kind of a sobering process because you count up the results and you start to realize how every team's year is going to go. And you're like, oh, that's horrifying. I didn't realize how good or bad this team was going to do. And uh, you know, one team for me was the 49ers. I'm still not sure. So what I'm going to do, I do round one this week. Then the first week of September, I'm going to revisit my predictions and say, do I still feel great about them? What's happened? Players have gotten hurt. We've learned more in training camp. We've seen this guy play or that guy play. Or I've just sat on it longer and listened to feedback. Um, and and I, I really encourage you guys to send in feedback. If you don't agree with me, Tell me why. Tell me what I'm missing here. Why Why is my prediction about your team wrong? I want to be educated. I want to be taught. And so round one is right now. In September, we'll do round two, revisit my predictions. That is how I do predictions. Uh, and I'm really proud of it. I think it's awesome. So with that being said, let's jump into the AFC East, starting with the New York Jets. Um, although real quick, I need to go blow my nose. So give me one moment. All right, we're back. Um, in my opinion, the New York Jets are the most interesting team in all of football. They were a solid team last year, but they needed a quarterback. And this year, they added a superstar quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. It's a massive deal. He's one year removed from winning back-to-back -back MVP awards. So they got their great quarterback, and they've got a really good receiving core. They've got Garrett Wilson, at receiver, who was the Offensive Rookie of the Year last year. They brought in Alan, Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb from Green Bay. They added McCall Hardman from Kansas City. They've got a guy, Corey Davis, who I think I'm really curious about, man. Corey Davis is a former first-round pick, a guy who hasn't done a lot in his career, but he's got potential. And him being older, he's 28 years old, that actually is good for Aaron Rodgers. He prefers to work with veteran receivers rather than young guys he's trying to teach a lot to. However, they do have a really good young receiver that could make an impact. They've got this guy, Jason Brownlee, an undrafted free agent, played at Southern Mississippi, who has been a really big standout in camp, making big catch after big catch. And um, I, I really like the receiving core. They've got Aaron Rodgers throwing to. They've got a solid tight end group. They've got Jack Conklin and CJ Uzama. And I, I'm just, I'm excited for this football team, man. They've got great players everywhere. I have high expectations. They've got a good offensive line a good defense, good players on defense. They've got Carl Lawson, John Franklin Myers, Quinnen Williams on the defensive line, C.J. Mosley, a linebacker, maybe the best corner in the NFL with Sauce Gardner. The opposite corner is D.J. Reed at safety. They've got Adrian Amos and Jordan Whitehead. And the defense in the last couple of years in New York has been really taking care of business. But now, finally, they're going to get proper support from their offense. They've got a great quarterback. That's going to make a huge difference. By the way, I love the Jets' defensive coordinator, Jeff Ulbrich. He played college football at Hawaii. Hallelujah, I love that. Robert Sala is also a defensive head coach. I think the defense is going to be taken care of. It's the offense you have questions about. And over the years, they've been building a really good roster by drafting really well and making good moves here and there. So in my opinion, 
adding Aaron Rodgers really is going to put them over the top. And, you know, this offseason, by the way, they added like 16 new players through free agency. They brought in a ton of depth on the offensive line. They've got a, you know, a guy, a new starting center, Connor McGovern. That's worth mentioning. So the Jets went from a good roster without a quarterback to a great roster, in my opinion, with a really good quarterback. Like at the very minimum, Aaron Rodgers is at least going to be a top 10 quarterback. I think he's going to be better than that. He might be 39 years old, but he's not slowing down. He doesn't look way worse. And this Jets team is going to be a totally different team than you've seen in years past. They've got a good defense. They've got a great quarterback. They've got two good running backs, a one-two punch at running back, Brees Hall and Michael Carter. Now, Brees Hall is coming back from a torn ACL. It's going to be a little while, I think, till he plays and is at full speed, but keep an eye on that. Um, I talked about depth on the offensive line. They drafted a center, Joe Tipman, out of Wisconsin. I really like him. So I have the Jets going 11-6 and six this year. I think that would mean they just barely missed the playoffs, partially because of the way I have things set up, I have the AFC North just dominating and looking like a great fantastic, fantastic division this year with two teams going, you know, 12 and five, one team going 13 and four. It's borderline though. I mean, the Jets are right there. They could very easily become a playoff team. I'm not saying my predictions have everything right, but even if they miss the playoffs, I think regardless, this year is a year where they're setting up for the second year with Aaron Rodgers being able to make a really deep Super Bowl run in 2024. I mean, this team is capable of winning a Super Bowl this year. Here's a concern though. The Jets do not have time for a slow start or growing pains early on. They have to come out of the gate swinging because the first six games of the year for New York are Buffalo, Dallas, New England, Kansas City, Denver, and then Philly. That could all be a bunch of playoff teams right there. Those are really good football teams they're going to play in the first six weeks of the year. So that's a rough start. They got to come out swinging and they do not have time to be learning early on. And if they do struggle early... I mean, maybe they could recover, and if they make a playoff game, I think from week one to week 18, the Jets are going to be a very different football team. So I think they're going to improve a lot throughout the year. But in my opinion, honestly, this year is about growing towards next year. Um, I hope that's wrong. I love Aaron. I love what they're doing. It's a tough ask to expect them to, off the gate, compete with Buffalo, Dallas, New England, Kansas City, Denver, then Philly just right away. Now, New England, Denver, those are probably not the same quality teams as Buffalo, Dallas, KC, and Philly. But still, man, those are six really hard games. They could start, you know, three and three, two and four at worst. It's, and that's, that's, that's on the optimistic side. So they're going to have a tough start, I believe, although I hope I'm wrong, man. I'd love to see week one, the Jets go out and just dominate Buffalo and shut the, you know, their fan base is so loud and annoying. It'd be really fun to watch the Jets just dominate Buffalo week one and be like, ah! Oh, Ho, ho, how's that going? Your domination over the AFCs, that would be funny to me. Um, but I worry that's wishful thinking rather than rational thought process. You know, I think Buffalo probably wins week one. Dallas, it's a tough game. KC, like in four games, are the Jets going to be ready to compete with Kansas City, Buffalo, Dallas? I just, that's a really tough ask. And I know that Tom Brady won a Super Bowl in year one with Tampa. It's not impossible for Aaron Rodgers to win a Super Bowl this year with the Jets, but he's talked a lot about playing for years. I think he understands it's a year of growth towards next year, honestly. And Tom Brady with Tampa was in a bad division with bad football teams around him. Aaron doesn't have that. He's got the Patriots, Bill Belichick. The Dolphins are really good. The Bills are some of the class and best teams of the AFC. Um, 
you know, I sorry, I guess what I'm saying is they're the class of the AFC. Like the the top three teams in AFC have recently been Buffalo, Casey, and Cincinnati. So to expect the Jets immediately to compete with Buffalo and take them down, that's a tough ask. And um, you know, the, the Jets have a new quarterback, a new offensive system, a lot of new players. It's just gonna take time, I believe, for them to get going. That's why I have them going eleven and six this year. It's no disrespect. Um and if the Jets don't make a playoff game this year and they're good but not quite where they need to be, understand their schedule's loaded. They're in a tough division. They've got a lot of changes happening. Don't panic if you're a Jets fan. It's not the end of the world. They're going to fail. No, no, no. It's because they're building towards something in 2024 that could be a Super Bowl victory. So I don't know. Although, again, I do maintain the fact if somehow the Jets can sneak into a playoff appearance, I think they'll be a way better team by the end of the year than they are early in the year. So... They could go on a crazy, magical Super Bowl run if they can make it in. But again, their first six games are really tough. It's a tough ask for them to just immediately out the gate be competing with the best teams in the NFL. And uh, I hope I'm wrong. I'd love to see that. But um, I have the, the Jets going 11-6 and six this year. And uh, we'll see what happens. Now, um, the Buffalo Bills have been the clear third best team in the AFC the last two years. You know, Two years in a row, the AFC title game has been between Kansas City, and Cincinnati. So the question is, can Buffalo go farther in the playoffs this year than they have in years past? They've got a great team. Uh, Obviously, their quarterback, uh, Josh Allen's incredible. He's a superstar. He's amazing. He can run. He can throw. He can make any kind of throw you can imagine. He's insane. He's he's like kind of a, a demigod among quarterbacks in the NFL. But there's also a really good group around him. He's got a good offensive line, a stud left tackle, Deion Dawkins. Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis at receiver are reliable and awesome. Stephon Diggs is a star. We've got a really good tight end, Dawson Knox. They've also got another good tight end. They drafted Dalton Kincaid, a rookie tight end out of Utah in the first round. Um, Dalton Kincaid was a monster at Utah. Catch after catch. I watched him live once and... uh, that could be a sneaky good addition that not a lot of people are talking about. The Bills have a really good defensive line. They've got uh, Greg Rousseau, a former first-round pick, who he was drafted in 2021. I want to see him have a breakout year. I'm kind of waiting and waiting. They've been drafting defensive linemen early in the draft for years now. I want to see one of these guys really pop. And Greg Rousseau is a physically really gifted pass rusher, but he's learning technique and got to develop. And this year could be the year he has a breakout year. You've got Ed Oliver on the defensive line. Uh, you've got depth on the defensive line. AJ Epinesa, Shaq Lawson. But the true star on the defensive line in Buffalo is Vaughn Miller. He tore his ACL in November. He's not back yet. And I'm not sure what he's going to bring to the table, if I'm totally honest, um, when he's healthy. Hopefully he can be the star he once was. He's been a dominating force for years in the NFL been an amazing pass rusher. However, he's going into year 12. 12 years in the NFL, playing a really, really physical position. He's 34 years old. He's coming off of a torn ACL late in the season last year. I'm hopeful I'm wrong. I'd love to see him, you know, be like the best pass rusher in the NFL. Even if he's like top 10 and makes a huge impact, that would be a massive deal. I'm hopeful for him, but I'm a little concerned. I'm not sure what Von Miller is really going to bring to the table. It feels like an unknown and a question mark in Buffalo. Now the Bills defensive coordinator, Leslie Frazier, I guess former, but they said he's coming back next year. Regardless, Leslie Frazier is taking a year off of coaching. 
It's not great. Um, they're going to miss him. He's a really, really fantastic coach on the defensive side of the football. Um, as a result of that, Sean McDermott, their head coach, is going to be head coach and also act as the defensive coordinator. That's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of things to manage. So I think it's possible Sean McDermott's going to be a little bit stretched thin this year. Although the secondary is back healthy this year. You've got Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, Tredavis White, and Kier Elam. Uh, it's glad to see that. I- I'm glad to see that group fully healthy this year. And uh, I think they're one of the best secondary groups in the NFL. It's going to be running back by committee. The the number one back is James Cook, but you're also going to see Damian Harris and Damian Harris and Latavius Murray playing. Um, I-, I think they're going to have a good running game this year. Here is my... I don't know if it's a question mark in, in Buffalo. I talked about Von Miller. What's he going to bring to the table? But, you know, this Bills team is aging. And their Super Bowl window, I don't think it's closed yet. But, I mean, it could have already closed. But I think it's closing. It's it's really, they're running out of time in Buffalo to take advantage of what they got going on. You know, in 2020, they made an AFC title game. The last two years, they've lost in the divisional round. It's been really disappointing. And... They are at the top of the AFC with Kansas City and Cincinnati, but they've been the clear number three team in that pecking order. And in my opinion, it's now or never for Buffalo. And it's not great that Leslie Frazier's stepping away and taking the year off. Maybe he couldn't handle the pressure. I'm not sure what's going on. We don't really know what's going on in his personal life. It might be there's something happening there. Um, but reality is that, you know, and this might be controversial, but the... AFC East is getting better and better. The division around Buffalo is getting better. I think that, you know, the Patriots got a real offensive coordinator. It's year one with him. So I think year two with Mac Jones and Bill O'Brien is going to be even better next fall. Uh, You know, Miami's got a great defensive coordinator finally. I think two is going to be fully healthy. The Jets added Aaron Rodgers. They're in year one with him. I think by year two with Aaron Rodgers, the Jets are going to be even better. So this is it. Like, I think that next year is going to be actually tougher for Buffalo than this year. And on top of that, I don't know that Von Miller is going to play next year. I don't know if they're going to keep everybody together contract-wise. They've got aging players in their secondary, guys who've been hurt before. So to me, it feels like now or never for Buffalo. They got to make a Super Bowl run this year. If they don't, that's a problem. Um, now, the good news is I think they got better this offseason. They added pass rusher Leonard Floyd. They added a guard, Connor McGovern. They brought in Dalton Kincaid at tight end by drafting him, making them better. I think that Buffalo is going to be a better team than last year, healthier team than last year. I have them going 12 and 5 this year. 12 wins, 5 losses, but I mean, you also have to acknowledge that it's not really fair to criticize what happened in Buffalo too harshly last year. They literally had a player, DeMar Hamlin, die on the field then get revived. That would throw off any football team season. I mean, it's really hard to hold against them with injuries, with you know, the DeMar Hamlin situation would just be jarring mentally and hard to recover from emotionally. So I think Buffalo is going to be a better football team this year a little bit, uh, a little bit better, but in a tough division, they're going to get challenged. They're going to go 12-5 and five this year, in my opinion. And, you know, it's worth saying the last nine games of the year for Buffalo are absolutely insane. It starts week nine. They play at Cincinnati. They play Cincinnati, then Denver, the Jets, at Philly, at Kansas City, Dallas, the Chargers, Pittsburgh, and then Miami. Bang, 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 bang. That's a lot of really tough games all in a row. It's a gauntlet. And so I have Buffalo going 12-5 and this year, but 
And it's frankly now or never. I think, again, your window is closing quickly on the group of guys you got together. I think eventually you're going to have to reload and rebuild stuff a little bit. So, man, uh, it's going to be a really tough road for Buffalo this year. They've got a shot at a Super Bowl, but it is not going to be easy. They're going to be challenged by the Jets. They're going to be challenged by Miami. Their last nine games are absolutely insane. I encourage you to look it up and see it for your own eyes on paper. You're going to go, it's a lot of really good football teams all back-to-back with no breaks in a row. So, um, we'll see. I, I'm hopeful for the Bills. I have them going 12-5, and five, but that big question is, can they go farther? Can they be more than just the number three team in the AFC? And unfortunately, they're at risk of being worse than that. Again, I think the Browns are better. I think the Ravens are better. The Jets are better. The Dolphins are better. The Patriots are better. The Steelers are better. It goes on and on. Denver's better. Like, they're going to get challenged even more in the AFC, and so... The window's getting, you know, it's closing fast in Buffalo. There's better teams around them in the AFC. They have to take advantage of what's going on this year and, and maybe make a Super Bowl push because if it's not now, I think it's never. Or at least, let's be clear, it's not for a while because they're going to have to rebuild, I think, after this year and we'll see what goes down in Buffalo. All right. Um, the Miami Dolphins made a couple really, really good moves this offseason. First of all, they added a new defensive coordinator, Vic Fangio. I love this move. He's a huge hire. He's a veteran coach. He's been in the NFL for a long time. It's great for their young coach, Mike McDaniel. He's been a head coach before. Vic Fangio has no interest in being a head coach ever again. I think he's happy that Mike McDaniel can run the offense. He can run the defense. And I think they might be a pair together for quite a while, actually. I feel really good about this marriage between head coach and defensive coordinator. One guy running the offense, one guy running the defense. It's going to be really cool to see what happens in Miami. Now, they traded for corner Jalen Ramsey. And, man, he tore his meniscus. He got hurt in camp. He had knee surgery now. Um, The timeline for Jalen Ramsey to come back is like December, but um, who knows what he's going to return and look like when he comes back. I mean, will he be able to play at the level he did before? It feels all up in the air. Um, he could come back by the end of the year, but that's a really tough loss. I was excited for the Dolphins adding Jalen Ramsey. Them not having him is is rough, but then it's even worse when you realize they replaced him with Eli Apple, a guy who has very famously gotten burned quite a number of times in big games when he played in Cincinnati. So we'll see what happens. Um, that's a definitely a big downgrade to go from Jalen Ramsey to Eli Apple. Um, but I do feel great about the defensive coordinator in Miami and what they got going on coaching-wise. Then there was a really quiet move, a move that I think is maybe only impactful if you're me, Zach Schaumler, who loves quarterbacks and pays a lot of attention like a giant nerd, but the Dolphins added former Jets backup quarterback Mike White. Mike White has played quite a bit over the years, had some really big games in New York, uh, came off the bench behind Zach Wilson and did really well. At one point, you could even have an argument with Jets fans where they would say, hey, Mike White's our franchise quarterback. There was a really a moment where they believed that. Um, I think Mike White's really solid. He might need to play this year because Tua's history is one of getting hurt a lot. And I feel great about Mike White. If he has to play, Mike White throw into, you know, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. That's a home run. I feel really good about that. So I think that's an awesome move. The Dolphins did lose their tight end Mike Gusecki this offseason. He went to New England. That's not awesome. And I worry about injuries in Miami. I feel like they're very vulnerable. You know, first of all, their quarterback, Tua, he's missed a number of games over the years recently. 
He's got to be smart. He's got to take care of himself. He's got to get protections right. He's got to be really accurate with getting protections right up front. And then he's got to do a really good job sliding, avoiding hits, getting rid of the football. Don't hold, hold on to the ball too long. Slide and avoid hits. And then get your protections right up front. If he doesn't do that, he's going to put himself in harm's way again and risk getting hurt another time in his NFL career. Um, now, another concern I have, another kind of vulnerability in Miami is that especially with Mike Gusecki leaving, Miami is kind of vulnerable with their offense so heavily depends on Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, their two-star receivers. They are amazing, by the way. Like, they're the best receiver duo in the NFL. Last year, they combined for over 3,000 yards receiving and 16 touchdowns. They're incredible. You know, Tyreek Hill had seven catches, seven touchdown catches and a touchdown run, and then Jalen Waddle had eight touchdown catches. These guys are incredible. But if one guy goes down between Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddle, you could actually argue that's a bigger concern than if Tua gets hurt. That's kind of a weird thing to say, but I think Mike White, the backup quarterback, could come in and play pretty well. You're not replacing Tyreek Hill. You're not replacing Jalen Waddle. They are, I, I think, arguably the most valuable players in Miami. They are so heavily dependent on them. And if they get hurt or banged up or aren't at 100%, that's going to be a problem with Miami's offense. That is a bit scary to me. Um, you know, it's likely going to be running back by committee in Miami. I think we're going to see all four running backs contributing. They've got Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson Jr., who I really like. Devin A-Chain from Texas A&M. Best name ever, by the way. A-Chain, it's a cool last name. And then Miles Gaskin, out of, you know, formerly played at University of Washington and watched him live a couple times up in the Northwest. It's kind of a cool experiment at running back in Miami. Um, they've got... Four running backs for pretty cheap. They're paying $6 million for all four guys total. Not $6 million each, but you know, $6 million divided by four people. That's a really cheap and efficient way to get running back production if the running game is good and they are you know, high-level producers. But that's another concern. They're really heavily reliant on Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. We don't know if they're going to have a good running game. The O-line is their biggest weakness in Miami. They added, um, you know, I guess they didn't add, but... The question, I guess, really is going to be, can Teron Armstead, their left tackle, stay healthy? The right tackle, Austin Jackson, was a 2020 first-round pick. He needs to prove himself to me this fall. I'm a bit suspect of him. And I'm, I'm not sure how their struggles on the offensive line could impact their ability to run the football. So there's a lot of question marks going on in Miami on the offensive side of the football. They're loaded at receiver, though. And that's going to help their offensive line, I think, because you can have... Great matchups outside. You're going to win a lot of matchups and get the ball quickly out of Tua's hands. You know, you've got, on top of Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill, they also have Braxton Berrios, Cedric Wilson, River Craycraft, the guy formerly known as Robbie Anderson. His real name now is Chosen Anderson, which I hate that I even said that out loud. That's a, It's a douchey name. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not very often that blunt about it, but why would you change your name to Chosen Anderson? I... I try to be respectful. I try to be understanding. That's a weird one that I'll never quite understand. Although, hey, I'm an empathetic guy. I'd love to meet Chosen Anderson, shake his hand, and be like, why did you change your name? What's the story there? And maybe that's something I should look up and try to understand. But I think they're, they're a great receiving core. You know, Braxton Berrios is awesome and, and really underrated. Good return man, too. Maybe they don't need a tight end Mike Kosecki. Maybe they'll be fine. They'll run like an air raid offense, basically. Um... But I think having good matchups outside with receivers beating corners, that helps you get rid of the ball quickly and takes the pressure off of your offensive line. But 
It's on Tua to get rid of the ball quickly. You can't hold on to the ball like he's done in the past. That's been a problem in Miami recently. Um, I love Miami's defense, man. They've got, you know, defensive coordinator Vic Fangio is a genius in my opinion. They've got good players too. You know, Xavier Howard and Javon Holland in the secondary. The pass rush is awesome. Christian Wilkins, Emmanuel Ogba, Raekwon Davis, Bradley Chubb, Jalen Phillips. I mean, it goes on and on. I, I feel really good about what they've got getting after the quarterback. You know, Bradley Chubb's kind of got to prove himself. He got a massive contract and you could argue under-delivered last fall. But uh, another thing you got to say is that when Dolphins quarterback Tua is at his very best, I mean, he is really good. For all the things I say about him getting hurt, I worry about him being available, literally. But when Tua plays, he's phenomenal. I mean, he had a... Go watch the Baltimore game week two last year. He had six touchdown passes. He was unstoppable. It was incredible. And I think Tua could be an even better quarterback this fall. He's really accurate. He's got great timing. He knows the system really well. But Tua, you got to stay healthy, man. You got to stay on the football field. You got to be available. So I have Miami going 11-6 and this fall. They are a borderline playoff team. They're right on the cusp. They could, it could go either way, in my opinion. Uh, losing Jalen Ramsey, him getting injured, that hurts. Um, do they need a tight end, Mike Gusecki? Maybe not, because the receiving core is loaded. Uh, you know, for all the the fun I have joking about Chosen Anderson, he's really fast. He's been burning people in training camp. Go watch him against Atlanta. Uh, and some of the videos coming out of their joint practices, you're like, hey, Robbie Anderson looks, sorry, Chosen Anderson. I hate that name. I will always hate that name. I want to meet him and ask him about it. That's insane. What's happening there? However, He's really good. He's a good football player. I don't understand his name, but maybe it's a thing I just don't get. Um, so I believe Miami's going to be better. I think they're a bit vulnerable to injuries. I've got questions about the offensive line. I'm worried Tua's not going to stay healthy, but, you know, one thing I like about Miami, I think once the Jets get going, the Jets are a better, more complete football team than Miami's going to be. Like on paper, measuring it, if it was Madden, the Jets are a better team than the Dolphins. However, the Jets have way more changes going on. A new offensive system, a lot of new players. I think Miami's going to come out of the gate stronger than the Jets. And so I think week 18, the Jets are a better football team than Miami, but it may not matter if the Jets can't going early, get going early on. So I have Miami going 11-6. and six. The AFC East is absolutely loaded, and it's going to be very interesting, man. What's going to happen in that division? Who's going to come out on top? I don't know. Frankly, I think all four teams in the AFCs have a shot, but uh, Miami's not a team to count out. They're a borderline playoff team, but um, that's why I have them going 11-6 and six this fall. Now, um, one more team in the AFC East. The, uh, the biggest move the New England Patriots made this offseason was adding a real offensive coordinator. Finally, they brought in Bill O'Brien, again, a guy who's not a defensive coach masquerading, calling plays on the offensive side of the football. I'm not really sure what happened with Matt Patricia last year, why Bill Belichick decided to make Matt Patricia their play caller. I have a lot of respect and reverence for Bill Belichick, although he kind of, he, he lost a little bit of my, my faith last year with that move because next time Bill Belichick does something crazy, I'm not going to go and automatically assume he knows what he's doing because I thought last year, I was like, it's pretty out there, but whatever, I'll trust Bill Belichick, and it didn't work. And so 
he lost some of the goodwill I think Bill Belichick had. I think it kind of put Bill Belichick in a tough position where, weirdly enough, he's got to prove himself. I'm not sure the Patriots would ever fire him, but I want to see them win and do well. And uh, I think he's got a, a really long rope and a long leash in New England, but certainly I want to see Bill Belichick and the Patriots do well and prove themselves this year. He's a great defensive coach, but he's got to have a good offense. And I think Bill O'Brien's going to help Bill O'Brien's going to help them do that. And I know that Bill O'Brien was a kind of a suspect head coach and decision maker. The, you know, trading away DeAndre Hopkins was a weird move. He did a lot of weird stuff when he was a head coach of uh, the Houston Texans. But the reality is, like it or not, Bill O'Brien is a really good offensive coordinator. He knows the game. I've seen both Bill and Bill O'Brien, you know, Belichick and O'Brien. I've seen them both coach live and in person up front, like, you know, 20 feet away from me. And I really like their approach. I like how they do stuff. I think they're great coaches that are going to pair well together, as they've done in the past. And the Patriots gave their young quarterback, Mac Jones, a couple of interesting weapons to throw to. They brought in receiver Juju Smith-Schuster. They added tight end Mike Gusecki. That's a big deal. I think the Patriots probably have the best tight end duo in football. They've got Hunter Henry and then now Mike Gusecki. That's awesome. And I would ask you if you know anything about the 2011 New England Patriots football team, because if you don't know anything about that team, Bill O'Brien was the offensive coordinator back in 2011. And he had two really good stud tight ends, Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski. Now, the name Aaron Hernandez comes with a lot of baggage. Um, There is bad history and if you want to look up what happened and how he died in prison, it's it's a it's kind of a messy situation. But the, you know, regardless of history, there in 2011, Aaron Hernandez had 900 yards receiving and seven touchdowns. And then their other tight end, Rob Gronkowski, local legend, hero, Hall of Fame tight end, had 1,300 yards and 17 touchdown catches. So they were just this incredible dynamic duo at tight end under the same offensive coordinator the Patriots once again have now with Bill O'Brien. I'm not sure that Mike Gusecki and Hunter Henry are going to duplicate that, but I can sure hope for that. And hearing about, you know, Patriots training camp with some of my friends there doesn't sound like that's a huge approach of theirs. Again, wishful thinking for Zach, though. I can imagine and pray that they have this amazing tight end dynamic duo. And I think that You know, the Patriots' biggest weakness is at receiver. They've got Juju Smith-Schuster. They've got Kendrick Bourne and Devontae Parker, some solid receivers doing some good stuff. But I think having two good good tight ends could really pick up the slack there. For any lack of great receivers out wide, I think tight ends could prove to be a huge thing for Mac Jones. Now, I am worried long-term about the offensive line, particularly about the tackles, because Trent Brown and Riley Reef are... Guys do not have contracts after this year. Who's going to be their left tackle and right tackle next year? I have no idea. Riley Reef is 35 years old. Um, what What's the plan there, right tackle? I, I have no idea. Um, and Trent Brown is 30, but he's been limited in camp. That could be because he's actually hurt or because he's a veteran and has the right to you know take it a little bit easy. We're not really sure there. But um, I have some questions on the Patriots' offensive side of the football I would love to see Mac Jones, their young quarterback, in his first year with Bill O'Brien, throw for like 35 touchdowns and look like Peyton Manning. That would be amazing. But Peyton Manning had Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne. Uh, They don't really have that in New England. Juju's good. He's a good slot receiver. And they've got two tight ends, but 
How far can that take you? I'm not sure. We're certainly going to find out. They've got a good running game. I feel good about that. And I absolutely love, love, love the Patriots defense, man. They're full of really smart football players. It's, you know, Boston is known as this area with all these colleges and smart people, but it's funny how their football team in Boston really mirrors that image because they run a really complex, really creative scheme that demands your players to be really smart, know exactly where they're going to be all the time. They got to be disciplined. They're well coached. It's a fun defense to watch. And they were one of the best last year in the NFL. And on top of that, they were a really good defense last year. And they only lost one starter. Devin McCourty retired. Other than that, man, this is the same group of people. It's going to be awesome. And so I expect this Patriots team to be really tough to beat. I have them going 10 and 7 this year. Yeah, that is in the AFC East. That would be, I have, I'm predicting all four AFC East teams are going to win more than 10 games. That might be insane. We'll see who the loser is, but that's how much respect I have for adding Bill O'Brien, respect for Bill, Bill Belichick. Um, I, I think the AFC East is loaded. They're either, either the East in the AFC or the AFC North is the best division in all of football. And it might be weird to say this, but they might be the worst team in their division, the Patriots, and that might be... They might be a great football team and the worst team in the AFC East. I mean, if the Patriots were in the NFC North competing with Green Bay or Minnesota, or they were in the AFC South or NFC South against Tampa or Houston and Jacksonville, the Patriots would be easily favorites to win their division, in my opinion. They're a good football team. And that might not matter. They might still come out at the bottom of their division simply because of how great the teams around them are. But, man, I... I don't expect the Patriots to make a playoff game or win their division. If either happened to me, it would be a really big surprise, although I'm not rooting against that. It'd be cool to see. And I love Bill Belichick, man. I respect him a ton. Um, he's, 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 there's a reason he's won six Super Bowls. He's an amazing coach who gets the best out of his players, and he's a genius when it comes to coaching defenses. But that being said, it's still kind of a building year for the Patriots. They're going to be better than last year. And I think this team reminds me a lot of the early Patriots dynasty where they had this great defense and they won amazing coaching, doing all the little stuff really well, team cohesion. They weren't super flashy. The old Patriots teams won in the margins by doing the little stuff really well. This is one of those classic Patriots teams. It's going to be exactly that. A great defense. They're going to run the ball well. They've got, instead of great receivers out wide, they've got two stud tight ends, which is kind of interesting. I almost already regret the Patriots, um, you know, overlooking the Patriots and, and my prediction here, but I do have them going 10 and 7 and last in their division. Although I can see them very much exceeding their expectations. And that comes from my respect for Bill Belichick and Bill O'Brien, a great offensive mind and a great defensive mind in the NFL, the two Bills. And. If Aaron Rodgers or Tua or Josh Allen gets hurt, the Patriots could take advantage of that and and maybe make a push into the playoffs and leapfrog another team in their division and slip into a playoff game. There's a lot of potential here. A great defense. Uh, Mac Jones, a quarterback who's due for a huge step forward and finally a real offense. And great running game, two stud tight ends. That is why I have the Patriots going 10-7. and And I think this team could win the way old Patriots teams have. It's going to be kind of boring. And that's okay. 
But Mac Jones, their quarterback, has a lot to prove. You know, he's got some good players around him, a good offensive line, good running game, good offensive coordinator, a real offensive coordinator, Bill O'Brien. And uh, I just, we'll see what happens. He's got a lot to prove. I want to see what Mac Jones can do this fall. If Again, if he has 35 touchdowns and looks like Peyton Manning, they might be better than 10 and 7. They might beat, you know, the Dolphins. They might beat the Jets. They might come out on top in the AFC. But that's a lot to ask from a quarterback in a new offensive system who's still young and new to the NFL. So we'll see what happens. But, you know, it is worth noting Demario Davis, the rookie receiver from Liberty, sixth round pick. Um, you know, my buddy at Patriots camp said he's been amazing. He's been taking reps with the ones, making a lot of big catches, doing a lot of high-level stuff. So Demario Davis is a guy to pay attention to. But regardless, I have the Patriots going 10-7 and last in their division. I hope I'm wrong, man. I, I've watched a lot of Patriots games over the years. I love Bill Belichick. I love what they've done. And uh, we'll see what happens, man. But again, my prediction right now is 10-7 and for the Patriots this fall. All right. Um... I need to take a break. I got to go to the bathroom really bad. I've been drinking this. I mix my water with, uh, it's not, so for a while I was making Gatorade, but the Gatorade had too much sugar in it. I wanted something sugar-free. Uh, at Walmart, they've got this great value version of like the meal water additive. So it's like the tiniest amount. I, I know this looks really purple, but it's actually really, really watered down. I add that to my water. It helps me drink a ton of water, but I've been, I've been drinking like I'm trying to lose weight. I'm walking a lot every day. I've been drinking like 10 of these a day, which is like an insane amount of water. So I got to pee really bad. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we will talk about the NFC East. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope we're doing very, very well. Let's jump into the NFC East predictions. That is Philly, Dallas, the Washington football team, the New York Giants. Um, I don't know if you can hear that. I'm sure you can't actually, given that you didn't hear the massive windstorm the other day, but the, the garbage guys are right outside and it's, it's really distracting and driving me nuts. Uh, let's jump in. I want to talk about Philly first though. Um, I wonder how the Philadelphia Eagles are going to respond to losing the Super Bowl. What's their rebound year look like? You know, nobody has won the NFC East in back-to-back years since actually Philly did it four years, years in a row from 2001 until 2004. Could they go on another run and win the division multiple years in a row? I mean, 18 years in a row, a different team has won the NFC East. It feels like streaks were made to be broken. This could be the year that a team finally ends that, you know, streak. But, you know, Philly did lose both of their coordinators. Um, They became head coaches. I'm curious how that's going to impact Philly. Their new defensive coordinator, Sean Desai from Seattle. Uh, Brian Johnson was promoted internally from quarterback coach to offensive coordinator. I'm just really interested in that. How does their new coordinator situation impact their year? Uh, They lost running back Miles Sanders. He went to Carolina with a bigger contract. They did bring in some solid replacements at running back, though. They traded for running back DeAndre Swift from Detroit. Uh, They signed running back Rashad Penny. And uh, they also brought in a new backup quarterback, Marcus Mariota, guy, Hawaii guy, love that who uh, is really solid. In case Jalen Hurts goes down for a game or two, I think Marcus Mariota can step in with a lot of great players around him and do a really good job. I mean, it's crazy how Philadelphia always finds a way to reload, and they lost Gardner Minshew, their backup quarterback, to Indy. They bring in Marcus Mariota. They honestly got better even at backup quarterback. You're like, wow, that's incredible. Um, This team is absolutely loaded in Philadelphia. You know, they've got a great group of receivers catching passes. A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, 
Quez Watkins. They've got Dallas Goddard at tight end. They've got an underrated backup tight end, Dan Arnold, that I love. I mean, you could really make a strong argument, and I guess I will, that Philly got better this offseason. I mean, it pretty much every hole that was created by players leaving in free agency got filled. And uh, gosh, yeah, you love filling holes, guys. Um, filling holes is always good. Um, should I, can I say that? Whatever. It, I'm going to move forward and we can all be adults about it. Uh, they lost two key linebackers. They lost Kazir White and TJ Edwards. They left. Uh, they brought in Nicholas Morrow, linebacker. They also, um, you know, Nicobe Dean, their second year linebacker, could start at middle linebacker. He was a third round pick last year out of Georgia on that incredible 2021 defense. Um, they also signed Miles Jack to compete with Nicobe Dean. So at linebacker, they're solid. They replaced that problem. Um, you know, it's funny. TJ Edwards went to Chicago from Philly, and they signed Nicholas Morrow from Chicago. So in a weird way, they didn't trade linebackers with Chicago, but they got good value, and uh, they did like a free agency swap. It's kind of funny how that works. Now, the number one question in Philly is their number two safety spot. They lost CJ Gardner-Johnson and Marcus Epps. They brought in Terrell Edmonds at safety. And their other safety, Reed Blankenship, is a guy who's unproven. He's going into his second year in the NFL, but he's got potential. We'll see what he can do. But Reed Blankenship is probably, you could argue, the weakest link on this entire Eagles football team. Uh, they've got three really good corners in Philly. You've got James Bradbury, Darius Slay, and Grady Williams. I like that. Uh, you know, Defensive tackle, Javon Hargrave left to San Francisco. That was a problem until... They responded by drafting defensive tackle Jalen Carter, number nine overall out of Georgia. That's an incredible move, man. You get another really good defensive tackle on a rookie contract. You can pay him less money. It's amazing how they just always find a way to reload every year in Philly. I mean, there's a reason why they're viewed as the team with the best GM in all of football. It's pretty incredible what they do year in and year out. Now, Philly has a really good offensive line. They did lose guard Isaac Sayamalu to Pittsburgh. Uh, say Malo, excuse me. Um, and we're hoping that second-year guard Cam Jurgens can step up and you know, fill the void there and become truly a really good starting guard. Uh, so I guess, you know, Cam Jurgens and Reed Blankenship are probably the two biggest, most unproven question marks in Philly. But the front seven on Philly's defense is absolutely incredible. I mean, it's just loaded with great players. In fact, Philly actually invested two first-round picks in this year's draft on their front seven on defense. They drafted number nine overall, already talked about him, defensive tackle, Jalen Carter. They also drafted a pass rusher, number 30 overall, Nolan Smith from Georgia. Two guys from Georgia, the Georgia defense playing in Philadelphia, basically. They just get better and better, man. And I didn't think they were going to get a player like Nolan Smith, number 30 overall. That's a crazy draft pick. It's really awesome. And on their defensive line, their pass rush, they've got so much Depth. It's incredible. I mean, they've got Brandon Graham, Jalen Carter, Fletcher Cox, Josh Sweat, Hassan Reddick, Nolan Smith. It's crazy how much talent they have on their front seven, getting after the quarterback on their defensive line. And uh, to me, just the Eagles are unreal. I mean, I've barely even mentioned their quarterback, Jalen Hurts. That's how good this football team is. They've got a quarterback who can run, who can throw, who was amazing last year, threw 22 touchdown passes, ran for 13 touchdowns. That's more than a lot of running backs ran for. He only had six interceptions, zero fumbles lost last year. That means he only had six turnovers all year last year. A guy who was running and throwing the football all over the field. It's incredible, man. I think Philly is easily and obviously 
the best team in all of football. I have the Eagles going 13-4 and four this year. I feel strongly about that. The Eagles are the team to beat in the NFL. You know, KC won the Super Bowl, but Philly's a better football team. Philly is unbelievable how good they are. And again, they're a team that lost the Super Bowl last year and just found a way to get even better. And uh, I just really have a lot of admiration and respect for what they're doing in Philly. It's incredible. And they could go back to the Super Bowl this year. I have them going 13-4. and four. And uh, again, I think Philly is the best team in all of football. All right, um, the Dallas Cowboys are going to be really good this year. Their team got better than last year. They traded for receiver Brandon Cooks. They traded for corner Stephon Gilmore. The wide receiver room is loaded. They've got CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup. Michael Gallup, by the way, is incredible jump ball receiver. He's so good. I just really, really think Michael Gallup is this underrated, underappreciated gem in the NFL. I would love to play with him. He's just the kind of guy you put the ball in the air, he'll go get it. As a former quarterback, Michael Gallup is like a quarterback stream to play with. Brandon Cooks is going to be an awesome receiver. Um, you know, we talk about having three receivers, how Seattle's got three really good receivers. Cincinnati's got three really good receivers. You could argue that Dallas, well, not quite as dynamic as Seattle or Cincinnati. They've also got three really good receivers in Dallas. And also there are three guys with different skill sets that complement each other. So, I love their receiving core in Dallas. It's really good. Dallas has got an awesome offensive line. It is worth mentioning, though, that they're two stars on the offensive line, uh, Tyron Smith and Zach Martin. They are both getting older. They turned 33 during the year, uh, later, later in the year, towards the end of the season. But still, I mean, their hallmarks on the offensive line are not getting any younger, and that could be a problem sometime in the future. Maybe this year they hurt. You never know. Um, the defense in Dallas is really, really good. I mean, their front seven is terrifying. You've got Demarcus Lawrence, Osa Odigazua, guy who I played in high school with, uh, Micah Parsons, Leighton Vanderesh. They drafted defensive tackle Mozzie Smith in the first round this year. I, I would not want to play against the Dallas Cowboys if I was a quarterback. Like, playing the Dallas Cowboys is just not fun. The couple teams I wouldn't want to play, the 49ers, Philly, and Dallas are the teams that come to mind that as a quarterback, you're going to get hit a lot. It's going to be miserable. Um, I remember watching... Dallas dominate Kirk Cousins and the Vikings like 40 to 3 last year, feeling horrified. Like, as a, as a former quarterback, like, no way. I would not, under any circumstance, want to play quarterback against the Dallas Cowboys. I, obviously, like, it's kind of a joke. You have to man up in the NFL, but my goodness, I mean, they are physical. And not only will the defensive line kill you, but they've got really good corners out wide. They've got Trevon Diggs and now the 2019 Defensive Player of the Year, Stefan Gilmore, who you can criticize Stefan Gilmore and say, well, he's getting old. He's 32 years old. And I understand that. That's fair. However, he's playing with a great pass rush. Guys like Demarcus Lawrence are going to be knocking the quarterback on his back. And so a great pass rush really helps your corners. And uh, I just think that, man, as a defense, like Dallas is so loaded, man. To have great corners like that paired with a really good pass rush getting after quarterbacks, I mean... I just, I'm telling you, like, if you're an opposing quarterback, you're going to have a miserable time playing Dallas. And because of their defense and the players they have, it's just going to really help them hang around other teams and uh, do a lot of damage. And they're going to win because of the players I just said, because of their defensive line and because of Trevon Diggs and Savon Gilmore. They're going to have a win or two extra because of how great those players are and the players they're going to make this year. Now, uh, I talked about... Uh, how I'm worried about players like Tyron Smith or left tackle in Dallas getting older. 
They do have a left guard, Tyler Smith, who was a first-round pick in 2022. He's a guy who likely will move over to tackle when Tyron Smith retires. So it's not all doom and gloom. The rest of their offensive line is actually pretty young, all under 26. I feel good about that. Um, and, and Dallas just honestly has put together one of the very best teams in the entire NFL. I have a lot of respect for the team they put together and the players. And I, I just, I see talent galore in Dallas. Great receivers, a great pass rush, great corners. No team has won the NFC East in back-to-back years since Philly did it in 2004. And I know that Cowboys fans are obnoxious. Their fans are loud and it's our year, but this really could be their year. I mean, there's a chance that Dallas wins the East this fall. I have the Dallas Cowboys going 12-5 and this year. I think they're a really good football team. However, I think there's been a, I haven't, I didn't mean to, but as I've talked about the Cowboys this entire segment, there's been a bit of a, like a, I, I, I think a, an inflection in my voice that's been a little bit negative. Like what, when's the shoe going to drop? Here's the shoe. Here's the, here's the other foot. The shoe's on the other foot. What's the saying? I don't know. Here's the shoe. The shoe. I can't even talk. Here's the problem in Dallas as I try to stumble over my words a bazillion times. Um, the coach and quarterback got to prove it in Dallas this fall. Dallas is second behind Philly when it comes to who's got a, a better roster and a better football team. And as you look around the NFC East, just in their division alone, the Cowboys don't have the best coach or the best quarterback in their division. I am skeptical of their head coach, Mike McCarthy. I'm skeptical of their quarterback, Dak Prescott. I mean, I would rather have both Nick Sirianni in Philly or Brian Dable in New York over Mike McCarthy. In fact, I'm really sad. The Cowboys have so much talent. Can you imagine if they hired a coach like Brian Dable, what they could do? It's, it's so frustrating because I think they're going to get held back by their coach once again. Jalen Hurts has been to the playoffs two years in his, enti- in his entire NFL career. And in two years, Jalen Hurts has two playoff wins and it's been to a Super Bowl. Jalen Hurts wins big football games. Last year, Dak Prescott had 15 interceptions in just 12 games. And he's only been to the playoffs, you know, what, a total of four times, double what Jalen Hurts has done. And yet Dak Prescott has two playoff wins in those four years. It's really, really frustrating. So Jalen Hurts is a better quarterback than Dak Prescott. The Cowboys are the best coach in their division. And how many times have we watched the Dallas Cowboys put a really good football team around Dak Prescott? And how many times have we seen Dak Prescott not do enough to win in the, the playoffs? I mean, it's really frustrating. I have watched Mike McCarthy get outcoached over and over and over again. And I'm like, at what point are we going to learn? And I blame all of this on their owner, Jerry Jones, the guy making decisions who... Let's be clear. I have reverence and respect for him. He's built an incredible football team. Like, their defense is loaded. Their offensive line is really good. They, Tony Pollard is awesome. Their running back. Their receiver room is great. I mean, they've built a great football team, but they missed at the most important positions in football, coaching quarterback. And it's just frustrating because I think there's potential to win a Super Bowl in Dallas. And if they don't, it's on the owner, Jerry Jones, for hiring the wrong coach and committing to a quarterback who's got a low ceiling. We'll see. I would love to be wrong. I don't hate Dallas. I want to see them win a Super Bowl this year. That'd be awesome. I want to see Stephon Gilmore do that. That'd be really cool. Brandon Cooks, he that guy's got to win a Super Bowl, man. It'd be awesome. I respect the talent in Dallas, but I'm skeptical of their coach and their quarterback. Again, Dak, 12 games last year, 
15 interceptions. That's not great. Now, they did fire their offensive coordinator who got hired. You know, Kellen Moore got hired in L.A. with the Chargers. I know that Brian Schottenheimer is the new offensive coordinator. Ooh, he's so scary and great. He's not really viewed as a genius offensive coach. We'll see what happens. I've got an open mind about Dallas, but I have a lot of questions about their coach and quarterback, and it's time for them to prove how good they are. That's why I have the Cowboys going 12-5 and behind Philly. And ultimately, it's going to be a fun year. They're going to win a lot of games, impress a lot of people. And I think when they fall short in the playoffs, you're going to look back at this moment and go, it does all come down. It does come down to coach and quarterback in big moments. I mean, this is a team that's got players worthy of winning a Super Bowl that probably won't because of their coaching staff. And that's just so frustrating and disappointing. I hate seeing a team with wasted potential. And I worry that the Cowboys are going to have wasted potential on this football team. A team that's capable of more than they'll do this year because coaching is going to hold them back. I mean, I even wonder about Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott's had kind of average and mediocre coaches his entire career. I think Dak would be better if they hired Sean Payton. If you got Dak Prescott, a truly genius offensive coach, he might be better. So it's even hard for me to blame Dak Prescott as much as it is to blame the coaching staff. He had Jason Garrett and Mike McCarthy in his career. Not exactly hallmark, amazing genius offensive coaches in the NFL. It's frustrating to me. And so, man, I, I guess I'm airing my grievances here. But if the Cowboys fall short this year, <laughs> you have no one to blame other than the guy calling the shots, Jerry Jones, who built this team, who did a great job, by the way, but hired the wrong coach. And uh, gosh, man, we'll see what happens. I, I so badly don't want to see the potential that Dallas has this year wasted because they've got... Such an incredibly special group of players, man. I really believe that. The receiving core. I mean, man, I, no one's talking about how they've got this big three. I know that you talk about Jalen Waddell and Cincinnati and Seattle, but, yo, Dallas has talent, man. They can run the ball well. They can throw anywhere. Opposing quarterbacks are going to really suffer because they're going to get hit. And if they miss anything a little bit inaccurately, they're going to get picked off by Trevon Diggs or Stephon Gilmore. I just really believe in this team, but I don't believe in their coach. And... Oh, what a what a frustrating feeling because I, I worry that Dallas is going to miss out on a Super Bowl and because uh, they got the wrong guy calling the shots at the top. And you can you can interpret that however you want. Does that mean Mike McCarthy? Does that mean Jerry Jones? <laughs> Aren't they one and the same? Um, oh, man, that's a, that was a passionate one. I I just do you understand what I'm saying? I hate seeing wasted potential. Someone who's capable of great things who doesn't because they get in their own way. And I worry that's going to be the story of the Dallas Cowboys once again this year. And I, I say everything I say out of passion and love. I love seeing people achieve great stuff. And if they don't, it's going to be frustrating in Dallas, man. And I'm not a Cowboys fan. I feel like I'm speaking for Cowboys fans, though. I'm sure a lot of them agree with what I'm saying. And uh, that's such a passionate, fun fan base that deserves a Super Bowl, man. Like the money they put into their team, the T-shirts, the merchandise, the energy, all of it. I'd love to see them win a Super Bowl. I just don't think they will. And uh, that makes me so sad. Now, let's move to New York. Another really passionate, amazing fan base. I really believe in Giants quarterback Daniel Jones. You know, he's going into year two with Brian Dable. And uh, I think people don't understand how much easier it is to run an offense when you're in your second year running the system. Everything becomes second nature. You know, in year one, you know the stuff because you studied it, you work hard, but it's not quite, you're still thinking about everything. 
and by your second year in an offensive system, you're no longer thinking. Every answer you already know. It's just it's just second nature. It comes. Um, it, it's everything's quicker. You're not thinking as much. You just play way better in your second year in an NFL system and in an offensive system. So, I think Daniel Jones is going to have a really big improvement this year. I also think people don't realize how good of an athlete Daniel Jones is. The dude is quick and he is massive. Daniel Jones is built like a superhero. He's six foot five, two hundred and thirty pounds. For context and for reference. Josh Allen, the quarterback in Buffalo, is six foot five, two hundred and thirty-seven. He's literally only seven pounds bigger than Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is a big, powerful monster of a man. He's really smart. He's got a great coach. He can run the football, and I think he's going to be unleashed by Brian Dable this year. I am so excited. They've got a stud running back, Saquon Barkley, in New York. They've got uh, they added a tight end, Darren Waller, who's got. So much potential. I mean, I'm so excited to see how Brian Dable uses Darren Waller. Are you kidding me? Brian Dable is a coach who puts people in a position to do well. He maximizes their potential. The thing that Dallas needs, honestly, is a coach who can get the best out of his people and the best out of his players. And I I love Brian Dable, man. I am a ride-or-die Brian Dable fan. That dude is an amazing coach who did... He was a miracle worker with what he did last year with the Giants. Getting him to a playoff game? Are you kidding me? That's amazing. I love what they did. And uh, I'm interested in this receiver room, man. They've got Isaiah Hodgins, Darius Slayton, Paris Campbell. Those are the guys you know about uh, who've been in the NFL for a while. But the exciting guy really is their rookie receiver, Jalen Hyatt, out of Tennessee. The dude is so fast. He's had a really great camp. Jalen Hyatt, I watched him live last year of five touchdowns against Alabama playing for Tennessee last October, and I was like, whoa, who's this guy? Now he's in Brian Dable's hands with his coaching staff designing plays for Jalen Hyatt. I mean, it's going to be awesome. I'm also really excited to see how the Giants play Dallas this year because I think the Giants have better players. They've got a better roster, a better group of guys in Dallas, but the Giants have a better coaching staff. And it's this awesome experiment where you can see what's going to win, better coaching or better players. I, I don't know, man. I think the Giants have an opportunity here to take down the big monster in Dallas. That'd be really fun to see. I like the Giants' defensive coordinator, Don Wink Martindale. He's a kind of a mad scientist of coaching. I mean, this Giants team is fun because they win with clever play design and smart coaching. It's kind of what the Patriots used to be. It's this just... I know the Patriots are so old, they've been around for so long, and the dynasty Bill Belichick's been there forever, but Brian Dable's the new age, man. He's fun. I really, really like Brian Dable. I, I love watching him on film. He's just a genius when it comes to play design, and I think it's still a building year for the Giants. They're not a Super Bowl contender, in my opinion, but they did have a good offseason. They drafted well. They added linebacker Bobby Okereke. They added tight end Darren Waller. I can't wait to see how they use him. That's going to be incredible. And uh, there is a lot of pressure on their former, you know, 2022 number five overall pick, top five pick last year in the draft, Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, I want to see him make a big improvement, man. If Kayvon Thibodeau can have a great year and become a really, really good pass rusher, then, I mean, man, the Giants defensive line could be pretty good. They've got some good guys in, in the interior of their defensive line. Kayvon Thibodeau, though, that's the question mark. And can he become like a Michael Strahan level pass rusher? I'm not sure, but he's physically gifted and... I would love to see him develop into something special in New York. There's a reason they drafted him top five. Um, corner's a concern. This is kind of a, a rough criticism because criticizing a guy simply because he's a rookie is pretty unfair. Um, but 
you know, Deontay Banks, their number 24 overall pick, will likely be starting week one at corner. And I think in time, he could become a great player. He's got a lot of potential, but you have to acknowledge that early on, you know, the first six games of the year, the Giants play Dallas, Seattle, Miami, the 49ers, Buffalo, like great receiving core after great receiving core. Dallas is loaded. Seattle's loaded. Miami's loaded. Like you're going to have this rookie receiver thrown into the fire early on. And, uh, I think that could hurt the Giants early in their year. But if you're a Giants fan, please do not attack Deontay Banks. He's a rookie being asked to guard Tyree Kill in the first six games of his entire NFL career, being asked to guard DK Metcalf, being asked to guard CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup. I mean, that's really tough. And I, I hope that Giants fans can recognize and, and be able to see that what he is in the first six weeks of the year is not quite what it'll be all year. And by the end of the year, if you can see development, that's a good positive thing. And please don't blame early struggles for Deontay Banks on him and then say, and, and never open your mind to the fact that he might become a better player capable of more down the road. Now, here's the bad news. I had the Giants going eight and nine this year, eight wins, nine losses. Uh, that would be a worse record than they had last year. Last year, they went nine, seven, and one. I think it's very possible the Giants are a much better team this year, even though they've gonna, they're going to have a worse record. I know that's weird to be better, as a football team, you're capable of more, you're a better team, but you lose more games. I know that's kind of weird to hear, but it's because their schedule is loaded with great teams and they're a team that's still in transition. They really overachieved last year, in my opinion. And I just want people to be patient with what they're doing in New York. With Brian Dable, he's building something. Even if they win fewer games this year, they could be a better football team. Brian Dable is building something in New York. I really believe in him. I believe in what they're doing. I believe in Daniel Jones, man. But building something takes time. And so I, I am begging Giants fans to hold your booze, hold your criticism. Just allow this thing to grow and develop in New York and understand that this year in New York is a year where you're building towards the future. If you can steal a win from Dallas and have better coaching and beat a better football team, frankly, with great coaching, that's a huge victory. Things like that are things to look forward to in New York and Daniel Jones, I think, is going to have a lot of highlights and play really well. So enjoy the moments you can and understand that this is a long-term process. It's going to take a lot of time. And if the Giants, on paper, step back in the wins and losses column this year, relax, take a deep breath, because where they're headed is a direction I really believe in. All right. Um, Washington, man. By far, the most interesting storyline in Washington this year with the Commanders is... I know they've got a new owner, Josh Harris. That's cool and interesting. But to me, the most interesting story is their offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy. He's trying to prove himself. And uh, I'm not sure it's going to work. I, I really don't know. I mean, the guy's interviewed like 17 times to become a head coach. And there's already a lot of consternation and frustration with his coaching style in Washington. It's wild, man. I, it's a, a fun experiment where I'm not sure what's going to happen. And there's nothing more beautiful than when... You're not sure how something's going to work out. Now, in Kansas City, he was the offensive coordinator last year and for a couple of years. They won two Super Bowls, actually, while he was there. And Eric Bieniemy never got the credit for their success on offense. The credit always went to Andy Reid, the head coach, and Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback. Eric Bieniemy's got a shot this year with an unproven second-year quarterback, former fifth-round pick Sam Howell. That's going to be their starting quarterback. Sam Howell, a guy who is not a top five pick, a guy who kind of came out of nowhere, who's unexpected and 
got a lot to prove. And it's kind of a cool roll of the dice because if Sam Howell can come out and look like a superstar or play at a high level and win a lot of games, then Eric Bieniemy is going to look like a genius, man. I mean, what a way to bet on yourself. If you can turn this guy, a former fifth-round quarterback, into a starter that's playing at a high level, you're going to look like a great offensive coordinator. And they've got a lot of weapons in Washington on offense. They've got two running backs, Bijan Robinson, sorry, Brian Robinson. Bijan Robinson's in Atlanta. Brian Robinson at running back and Antonio Gibson. You've got three good receivers, Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, Curtis Samuel. I really believe in tight end Logan Thomas. He's a guy that I think has untapped potential that with a good offensive coach could get more out of him. And uh, we saw what Travis Kelsey was in Kansas City. By the way, Travis Kelsey is a former quarterback. Played quarterback at Cincinnati, switched to tight end. Logan Thomas is a former quarterback. There's a lot of weird parallels. I'm not saying Logan Thomas is going to become Travis Kelsey. However, if you're going to have a coach turn a former quarterback into a really good tight end, who better than Eric Bieniemy, the guy who worked with Travis Kelsey for years? I mean, there is potential here in Washington. I'm not sure it's going to work, but it's really fascinating. And uh, the offensive line is still a work in progress in Washington. It's a work in progress, but I think it's going to be better. You know, they added a new right tackle, Andrew Wiley. They added Nick Gates at center. I mean, they're doing things to improve on the offensive line in Washington. It will be better than it was last year. And Washington last year had one of the better defenses in the entire NFL. And they did that without their 2020 number two overall pick, Chase Young, playing. I mean, Chase Young only played in three games last year. So I want to see what Chase Young can do this fall. Can he come back, play at a high level, uh, maybe have his best year of his career so far? And another thing that's kind of interesting in Washington, they drafted a corner, Emmanuel Forbes, number 16 overall. He's likely going to be a day one starter. A lot of people were skeptical of the pick and criticized the pick and said they, they overdrafted him and overvalued what he can do. I think we got to give Emmanuel Forbes a chance. Let's see what that guy can do. He was known in college for getting a lot of pick sixes. He played in the SEC at a really high level. And, I mean, let's just, it's weird how people outside of Washington are saying that Emmanuel Forbes, terrible draft pick, writing him off is horrible. Give the guy a chance, and let's see how he develops over year one. If week one to week 18 is a better player and he develops and turns into a good starter, that's a great year. I'm not expecting him week one to be the best corner in the NFL, but if he can progress into a good player, that's, that's a win to me. That's a good draft pick. And again, I don't think Washington, as I throw my pen, I don't think Washington is in competition for a Super Bowl this year. It's about developing their young guys. It's about seeing what Eric Bieniemy can do. How can Sam Howell play? Is he the quarterback of the future? Can he play at a high level? Developing Emmanuel Forbes, having Chase Young ball out and have a great year. Those are the things to look forward to in Washington. Now, they do have a tough schedule, man. They're in a loaded division. The NFC East, which has Dallas, the Giants, Philly. I mean, some of the best teams in football. I have Washington going 7-10, and and that's... That's actually a good year, I think. If they can look good on offense and win seven games, that's actually like a solid year to me. Um, I, I'm really, really fascinated how Eric Bieniemy and Sam Howell are going to do. It's the most, it's the science experiment that I just, I want to see how it plays out. I'm not sure how it's going to work. Um, I think that one thing that's pretty damning for Eric Bieniemy is that Kansas City is going to be totally fine without Eric Bieniemy. And uh, that could be telling me, what does that say about you? If you leave a situation and, they don't even skip a beat without you. I mean, how, how great of a coach were you? How much of an impact did you really have? That's not great. And there's players complaining about Eric Bieniemy. I think that's ridiculous. There are players saying, he coaches too hard. He's too tough on us. It's like, no, he, he's trying to push you to be better. But 
it sounds like there's a disconnect between the way he's coaching the players and the way it's being perceived by the players. So maybe that's a people skills problem. I'm not sure. Either way, I'm rooting for these guys. I'm rooting for Washington. I'm rooting for Enemy. I'm rooting for Sam Howell. It'd be so cool to see them do well. I'm not sure they will. But I have Washington going 7-10 and 10 this year, um, middle of the year season. If they lose a lot of games, though, and the offense looks great, that's still a successful year in my opinion. They've got a good defense, though. And so if they've got a good defense, the question and all the pressure goes on Biennemi and the quarterback, the offensive side of the football. So, man, it's going to be fascinating. I, I'm not sure it's going to work, but I'm going to pay a lot of close attention and have a lot of fun watching the Commanders this fall. Guys! Wow, we did it. Um, hallelujah. Hope you have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow for uh, the AFC and NFC South. I have a lot of work to do to prepare that episode. I got to go. Uh, but in the meantime, enjoy the show. Have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow. And uh, thanks for listening. But um, bum bam. Oh, hey, that guy, Lenoa. I, I don't know what your name was. Honestly, I had headphones in. I, I kind of took one off, but I don't. You might have said, it's Noah. Like, for all I know, I don't know what your name was. But dude, it was cool to meet you, man. Like how... That happens occasionally where someone comes up and I love when they're chill. I love when they just shake my hand and they're like, I love what you do and they, they take off. And what a cool moment this, this morning. If you're listening right now, that made my day. It was pretty fun. So anyway, have a good day. Love you guys. Take care. And uh, bam, we are done.